This is your host, Nick Riley, and you're listening to the One Day Advice Podcast. Together, we're going to take a ride inside the world of personal finance. I'm going to give you a fully transparent, behind-the-scenes look into the financial services industry, helping you to optimize your financial life along the way. Education is the backbone of personal development, and depending on what an individual wants to do with their life, it's essential to putting themselves ahead of or on a level playing field with others in life. Access to great education has been a hot topic for many years, and the continual growing cost has not helped that cause. In this episode, I'm going to discuss the rising cost of education and how you can optimize around it in a tax-efficient way. Whether you have kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, or thinking of having kids, this is relevant to you. Education savings can be a great way to reduce your taxable state and give back to the next generation of youth. It is also one of the core financial goals and priorities many of our clients face today. So why are tuition costs increasing so much? So like with any commodity or service, tuition and education-related expenses are subject to the fundamental macroeconomic concept of supply and demand. As the desired commodity becomes more accessible, its demand will increase, and this will drive its price up so long as people are pursuing college degrees. From 1998 to 2018, college tuition increased by over 180% compared to overall inflation at 56%. This drastic increase was only less than hospital services and, ironically, college textbooks. Inflation is not the only reason, however, that college education has increased. Given the growth of remote education, low interest rates on federal student loans, charitable funding from the baby boomer boomer generation to their grandchildren, and the requirement of college degrees from most modern high-demand employers all play major roles in why the price of college tuition has risen at such a high rate. Not only have tuition costs outpaced the prices of other commodities and consumer goods over the past 20 years, but from 2002 to 2022, it appears that they are growing at an increasing rate. So, Will, con- will tuition costs continue to increase at the rate they have been? Uh, well, in short, we don't know. There are obviously a lot of factors involved around that, but we can make educated guesses based on the history of pricing and take advantage of compounding interest to keep up with inflation and the overall market. So education seems to be a sector that is continuously, continuously growing in price at a rate far exceeding that of inflation. So the most we can do is essentially dollar cost average into our savings plans over time to the point where we reach a sizable appropriate amount to mitigate the vast majority of education expenses. That being said, as previously discussed, there are, are there factors such as the increase in accessibility and employer demand for college degrees that have been influencing the cost of education. And if these factors continue to play a meaningful role in determining the cost of education, it's safe to assume they will not be leveling out anytime soon. Uh, that being said, I do have an opinion in, uh, th- in that college uh, or any you know, further education uh, will potentially be made far more efficient through the use of technology, uh, making education far more accessible to many, 
uh, and having you know quality educators being able to educate uh, a, a broader base of people, which in turn could uh, reduce the overall price of education. So uh, there are a lot of schools of thought around this, but uh, in short, we don't really know whether this trend will, will continue. But our job as planners is to uh, always assume worst case scenario. And you know, worst case scenario in this case would be that that the cost of tuition continues to rise at its current rate. So we have to plan around that. So how can you save for college education costs? Well, while there are many ways to fund the cost of education, the best tool, in my opinion, uh, and, and many you know, certified financial planners will agree with me on this, is uh, through a 529 savings account. Now, these accounts allow account holders to invest pre-tax funds uh, with the intention of these funds increasing in value and eventually used for qualified education expenses, including tuition, room and board, uh, peripheral equipment uh, used for education purposes like calculators, laptops, software, printers, uh, you name it, uh, as well as textbooks. So a little bit more detail into what a 529 plan uh, accounts for. So it's also known as a qualified tuition program. Uh, It's a specialized state-sponsored tax-efficient investment account whose funds can only be used for expenses related to the education of a specific beneficiary who is determined when the account is opened. Now, that beneficiary can change uh, if you are making a donation. Uh, it, you own that account, uh, but, and you can change the beneficiary. Uh, so that is a, a, you know, something that is not commonly understood. So uh, and unlike other tax advantage accounts, 529 plans do not have contribution limits imposed from the IRS. However, most states set total contribution limits per beneficiary between 235000 and 529000 uh, Washington State's limit, for instance, is five hundred thousand. And the, it's important to note too that the five two nine plan is because it's state sponsored. Every state has its own plan, so you can actually Google uh, your comparison between state plans. Uh, in general, I would recommend using the state of U- Utah. So that's my five two nine dot org. And the reason being, costs are low. You have uh, it's really one of the the lowest cost uh, five to nine plans available. As and you also have access to Vanguard uh, index funds. So the internal fees within those funds are also much lower than a lot of other state plans. There are also no annual you know, maintenance fees around that. So in general, I think everyone is 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 typically safe to go with the state of Utah. You don't have to use the state. Uh, that you reside in. Uh, There are some states to keep in mind, uh, I believe like Arizona, where there are some tax benefits of using your own state's uh, 529 plan. But in most cases, uh, I would say a majority of people are fine to use uh, Utah's state plan. So 529 accounts are tax efficient in the sense that all their funds, primarily the returns from the investments within it, can be used pre-tax towards expenses related to the education of the beneficiary. So, you know, it's important to note, you don't receive tax relief up front per se, unless you're trying to reduce your taxable state uh, through that donation. 
but you do receive a tax benefit in the form of tax-free growth as long as it's used towards the approved education costs. So if it's not used towards uh, approved education costs, and we'll get into what that entails uh, later in this episode, Uh, but for now, it's important to note that there is no immediate tax relief that you would get like, you know, in, in doing like a pre-tax contribution to an IRA or, or your 401k. So also a 529 account can be contributed to by anyone. And depending on the platform managing the account, this can be done digitally in a shared format for the account owner to invite friends and family to help contribute to it. So uh, whether you're a grandparent or you know, your parent, uh, uncle, aunt, you can contribute to a, a specific beneficiary's account. You can share in that contribution, or you can set up your own account for that beneficiary. So what expenses can a 529 plan account for and be used for? Uh, it has to be you know, expenses related to education, uh, such as tuition. And this can be trade schools, uh, certificate programs, community college, and even grad school as well, uh, so long as the school program accepts federal financial aid. It can also be used towards room and board uh, and also peripheral equipment used for education purposes, as I mentioned earlier, like calculators, laptops, software, printers, uh, as well as textbooks. And then you can use up to $10,000 per student in student loan college debt and up to $10,000 per year in primary or secondary school tuition. And what can't you use a 529 plan for? Uh, So you can't use it for travel expenses. You can't use it for college test prep, entrance exam fees, uh, health insurance, personal living expenses, or sport or club fees as well. So it really has to be geared towards uh, the direct education uh, costs. And so the 529 plan is not the only way that you can fund education. Uh, I do believe that it's the most tax efficient way and the best way to, uh, to accumulate funds necessary for education savings, but there are other, other means to do so. So there are Coverdale uh, education savings accounts that are less common than they were, you know, say 15, 20 years ago. Uh, there's also prepaid tuition plans and you know, Washington State's Guaranteed Education Tuition Program, otherwise known as the GET program. Uh, these are, there's really only a few states that offer this, Washington being one of them, but it's a, it's a 529 prepaid tuition plan it's a, that allows one to immediately pay for the tuition of a future student of an in-state public college at current tuition rates. So you are largely limited to being in-state through a public university, but the benefit is that you get to prepay at the current tuition rates. So assuming that tuition rates go up, uh, you're locking in somewhat of a savings there. So it's, it's primarily for families who are sure that their children will attend a specific state university. Uh, and uh, this is only offered in nine states currently. You can also fund through an IRA. And if you're over 59 and a half years old, you can withdraw from your IRA uh, without any penalties attached to that. 
depending on the structure of the IRA, you will have to pay taxes on that. But, you know, for instance, if you're you know, making you know, donations from or you know, funding college education costs through a Roth IRA, your contributions, because they're, they're post-tax contributions, those can be taken out at any point in time. So you could technically use your Roth IRA contributions that you've accumulated over the years to pay towards education costs. However, uh, if you do take funds out of your IRA, they will no longer receive the appropriate tax benefits, whether they are pre-tax or, uh, or Roth formatted. You can also fund, obviously, through, through student loans and other family members. So covered a lot of material there. I know there's, there's likely going to be questions, but uh, some frequently asked questions that we receive is, you know, what if the beneficiary receives a scholarship? And uh, if, if that beneficiary receives a scholarship, the account holder can withdraw funds equal to the amount rewarded in the scholarship, uh, whose earnings will be subject to general income tax. So you'll avoid the, the penalty uh, around uh, you know, taking you know, funds out of the 529 plan that isn't directly towards education, uh, but you'll still have to pay income tax because keep in mind when you put money into a 529, it's, it grows tax-free as long as it's used towards education. So if it's not used towards education, in this case, it's a scholarship and it's treated as earnings and treated as taxable income. So what if the beneficiary has 529 funds left over after school? This is a, a, another frequently asked question. And so in the event that a bene beneficiary finishes school or no longer requires funds, uh, the account owner can change the beneficiary to another current or future student, student who is already born, uh, liquidate the account, and suffer a 10% penalty plus income tax on all investment returns, and keep in mind that 10% penalty, if, if funds have been growing tax-free for you know, 18 years, essentially, if, if you funded uh, much of it when the, uh, you know, during the early stages of the kid's life, then that 10% penalty is, is really a small penalty to pay for so many years of tax-free growth. So it's not necessarily a bad thing that you would be having to pay uh, just no one likes to pay a penalty on anything, of course. The other option is to include ownership of the account in the will of the owner, uh, planning to transfer it to someone else who can assign a new beneficiary, as funds will remain in the account indefinitely, no matter the status of the beneficiary. And you can also use the funds to contribute to the beneficiary's postgraduate education. So, you know, certifications needed uh, post like, grad school and all that kind of stuff can be used, uh, you know, from uh, that 529 account. One other question we get is, is how, how a family member or household can ultimately reduce their taxable estate uh, as, as efficient as possible. And there is a way to super fund a 529. And this is largely a strategy meant for uh, households or family members that, that are above that, that uh, estate tax exemption limit that each state and, and also at the federal level has. So it gives them the ability to reduce their taxable estate and, and save taxes for their estate. And it also comes with a benefit in, the, in that if you, you know, kind of 
upfront fund a 529 plan significantly, you might not ever have to make any contributions to that because if you do it for someone who is, or a you know, baby that is just born, they'll have essentially 18 years of tax-free growth on that. So if you make a sizable contribution upfront, you might not have to fund that 529 plan anymore uh, and you know, kind of reduce the risk of overfunding the 529 plan. So what does super funding a 529 look like? Well, the as of 2022, the annual gift tax exemption is $16,000 per individual per beneficiary. So that means that you know, myself as an individual, I could I could provide up to $16,000 donated uh, as a gift to anyone in the world today. And that that limit is uh, on a per beneficiary basis. You know, tack on my wife on top of that. So we could essentially double that limit. Uh, we could, as a whole, contribute 32000 per beneficiary if we were to combine gifts. So by superfunding, there's a something called a five-year gift tax averaging rule, which enables an individual to give up to eighty thousand uh, dollars in today's you know sixteen thousand uh, dollar annual gift tax exemption limit, allows them to to contribute up to five years of that upfront. So this significantly reduces their taxable state uh, in the process and kickstarts the education savings process. So if a grandparent has say you know ten grandkids. And as they're born, uh, they could essentially you know, gift up to as of today eighty thousand per beneficiary, uh, and you know significantly reduce their taxable estate. So it's a great estate planning tool, uh, and also is a great way to really give back to that next generation. And so, in summary, obviously covered a lot, but you know while while this episode covers some of the fundamentals, there are a lot of nuances to be aware of. When it comes to education savings plans. This is a financial priority that we cover for many clients today. So I encourage you to reach out to us at hello at onedayadvice.com and mention the podcast. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. Hi, I'm Nick Riley, the founder of One Day Advice. If you like what you've heard, we'd greatly appreciate your help in spreading the word. After all, we are financial educators, not marketers. Thanks for listening and remember to leave us a review. Nick Riley is the founder of One Day Advice, an independent fiduciary and fee-only registered investment advisor. Nick serves as a wealth advisor and educator to his clients. All opinions expressed by Nick and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of One Day Advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment or financial decisions.